Hello, hello, there it is. It's on, it's on, it's on. Hello, everyone. Happening is happening in every Hello? Now it's on. Now it's on. No. It's on. It's on. Try and try again. Hello and welcome to Women's Magazine. This is Global Val here. Big thanks to Pam Benjamin for helping uh, sort out our little technical issue here at mutinyradio.fm. Uh, but I do assure you that down here is a pretty funky spot and everything's looking pretty good, but you never know what's going to happen. This is a community radio station and, um, you know, we work together and, uh, who knows? But anyhow, I, I do really want to thank you for tuning in to listen to the show today. I have some amazing guests. Um, I have Asali and Drew, and they are both um, rape crisis counselors who have started a social enterprise called the Survivor Alliance. So Drew and Asali, thank you so much for being here and for being patient as we get started here today at uh, Mutiny Radio. So uh, welcome to Women's Magazine. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. Um, I love your energy. We've been hanging out here for you know the past like 10, 15 minutes getting things started here. So um, tell us, tell folks a little bit about what uh, the Survivor Alliance is, and then uh, then we can get into some other some other things. A little background. Yeah. So Survivor Alliance, we are on a mission to redefine what it means to be a survivor of sexual assault. It is an online platform for survivors and allies. There will be plenty of resources to access. What we found so often is that there is very few options for healing after sexual assault. If somebody tells you you're like, oh, go to the police or counseling or the hospital. But if none of those work for you or even if they're re-traumatizing, then where do you go to? And there's not enough um, understanding of how to talk about consent and boundaries and all the other things regarding rape culture as well. So we're building this resource library and online community for people to share their thoughts and different creative outlets that's not Facebook and maybe better recepted or received in our community. And then the third aspect of it is a self-care kit, which is a little subscription box and you can get that delivered to your door filled with items from local Bay Area or we're expanding to artists from around the country and they're submitting items like DIY crafts, self-care um, essentials and journaling prompts. We actually just finished up our zine for it today, which is mm -hmm. super exciting. And we're gonna be sending out the first round of those. So it's a three-pronged approach to providing more healing and understanding between the survivor and ally community. 
That's fantastic. Um, thank you for that synopsis, Asaley. Um, so, Drew, how did you and Asaley meet and get together on this plan? Well, Asaley and I met back in July. Um, I had been working on a Survivor Alliance starting the pretty much the 2016 election, like Trump being elected president as an alleged rapist. Uh, that was ultimately what triggered the creation of all this. And I was doing this on my own for a little while, which was really difficult and passively looking for others to join me. And I enrolled at the, uh, or applied to become a volunteer with San Francisco Women Against Rape. Their program is uh, really amazing, but they do for their volunteer training to become one of the like direct, um, like one-on-one volunteers where you're doing the crisis work requires a 40-hour training, uh, sensitivity training, like learning learning about oppressive systems, all these, a lot of really dense topics. And then, of course, how to support someone if they call the hotline, things like that. And within the first day, Asaley was like, hey, you're doing some work. I want to like learn more about it and get involved. And we chatted and I don't know. We, it very quickly evolved to us working very closely together. It just really fit. Well, you, you, you seem to be making a, a really dynamic team. Again, again. I heard it click. I can hear them. Okay. They can't hear me right now. I can use two. Thank you. While well, we adjust. Um, making adjustments is kind of a theme, right? Making <laughs> the theme of life and um, talking in this very serious, uh, about this very serious matter. Um, and in this time of our culture where it's actually, everything's coming to light in ways that it hasn't before. Um, and people are talking about it and, and people such as yourselves are actually doing something about it. Um, it's, it's kind of a phenomenal thing that's happening right now. Um, so with some of, have you, have you actually been on the hotline then as a, as trained people, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, what seems to be, I mean, how, how do you, how do you actually approach, uh, someone who has called in, it's, it's the rape crisis hotline. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about you know, what those steps are for when people want to call in, who do they talk to? Um, what kind of questions do you usually ask them? Or is it more of a listening? And what kind of resources do you tend to offer? Um, yeah, well, first, I'd like to start off with giving a little background information about SF Women Against Rape. Um, I'm going to be referring to them as SF War throughout the conversation. So SF War was founded by women of color. And I think that framework has really solidified the way that they approach different communities. And uh, during our training, we learned about the five majorly affected groups by sexual assault, and that is LGBTQ, people who are homeless or marginally housed, incarcerated, formerly incarcerated. Um, there's also youth, youth and um, uh, people with um, differently abled bodies. Yes. And so these are, and elderly as well, are very, very commonly affected. So these groups are systematically silenced and unable to share what they might be experiencing. So therefore, a SEF war offers this rape crisis hotline. And you can call into it. We'll give you the phone number in just a minute once I dig it up. But the SF war hotline, you will call it and get connected to a 
um, connection service. And then they will contact the rape crisis counselor who is on shift that time. And then once you get patched through, the rape crisis counselor will be able to either provide listening, we can provide some grounding activities for you, we can let you know about the different resources that SF War has to offer. On top of the rape crisis hotline, there is um, peer counseling that you can access. It's one-on-one, one-hour sessions for up to 10 weeks for survivors and for significant others. So if you are the partner or the family member or just another loved one who is being affected emotionally and mentally by someone that you care about being sexually assaulted, then you can also access these resources and this hotline. Um, They also have medical advocates, which will accompany you to the hospital if you wanted to get a rape kit done. You can go to the SF General Hospital and get free rape kits done. Um, and our medical advocacies or our medical advocates will accompany you anytime after business hours. So it'd be anytime after 5 p.m. to 9 a.m. the following morning, Monday through Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday. And this person would just basically be there to facilitate the process with you. They can't speak for you, but they can provide emotional support throughout. And that might look like validating your experience or if you're feeling very overwhelmed by the questioning process because it is very invasive and can be re-triggering, then you can make a signal or something to your medical advocate and they can make sure that you're getting breaks, that you're being able to take care of yourself and practice self-care while regurgitating what um, is very traumatic experience that you've had. So there's those resources and so much more that SF4, they do community outreach, they have um, like we said, this rape crisis training, if you're interested in becoming a counselor with them. And we just learned so much about different groups and how they're affected, how to validate someone's feelings. I think um, that's an education standpoint that really needs to be more widely promoted in our society because if, uh, let's say, I came up to you and I told you that I had been raped, the last thing that I want to hear is like, oh my gosh, you poor thing, like, oh my God. And that reaction is very, very common to get from people or, you know, I'm so angry, I could just kill the person. And what most people are looking for is just somebody to validate their experience, you know, like, that really sucks that that happened to you. How can I support you? Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to help you find resources that are legal or counseling? And that's kind of what we're hoping to do with SF4 is to centralize all those resources so that it doesn't have to be Googling for hours to try and learn more about how you can heal yourself or how to react after this has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, adding to that a little bit, um, I think you meant Survivor Alliance, not SF4. Oh, can, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> not to be, uh, but anyway, that was not the point. The point was uh, what I wanted to say is both with SF4 and Survivor Alliance and just being an ally in general, um, a lot of what the training and dealing with survivors on the hotline focuses on is not being prescriptive, but really listening and survivors know what is going to support them. But a lot of times when you've experienced trauma, you forget, you forget the things that make you feel good, the things that make you feel whole and happy. And oftentimes when you're in these crisis mode, you, you just really need someone to be there and kind of remind you that you already have all you need within you. You have the strength within you. And that's probably our biggest role of then assessing if if they want those resources providing them but not always like doling out because sometimes again like let's say was just saying it's about val- being there and validating yeah because you know i i think um what you were what you uh, mentioned earlier 
about how when people hear something like that, that kind of news, they have this really emotional reaction to it. And, you know, it's automatically like, oh, my God, that's the worst thing I've heard. Um, and and it is. It's a terrible thing. But the fact that if somebody is actually coming to you um, is a really big step because so much uh, of, you know, so much violence or assault or abuse goes um, unspoken. Um, so I think it's a good thing to remind people that, you know, if things have happened to you, if you're out there listening and you know someone who maybe confided in you, um, that it's very, very difficult to, to actually reach out. Um, and again, to kind of find some of those resources. Um, but I like that you are looking at this as a, with a more holistic approach, um, because, um, like you said, you know, when, when, if, if someone's a survivor of a sexual assault and then they have to go and get a medical exam, they get all these invasive questions, or if they go to the police, they get all these invasive questions. Um, do you find that people who actually call when you're, when they're calling you as well, when they're calling the hotline and then we'll get back the SF war hotline, and then we'll get back to what you are, you two are putting together, which is a survivor Alliance to kind of help healing. Um, when people are calling the hotline, are, are they, is it kind of the first point of contact or have have a lot of people already contacted the police and then they're they're doing kind of a personal follow-up um what what have you experienced in that role very mixed bag um some some people have it's very fresh and they're calling not knowing like about to go to the hospital not sure what to do some people happened 20 years ago and especially with the things going on politically right now, they're feeling re-triggered and want, just want somebody to talk to. It's definitely, it's hard to say it's any one type of person because it's also, I've had um, family members and allies and friends calling as well, looking to support a loved one. That is a good point for people to know as well. This isn't, I mean, it, although it's a hotline, it's a crisis hotline, but it's also some place that people can call and get support, um, whether it be, you know, someone you personally or someone you love or yesterday or 20 years ago. Yeah. Right now there's so much, um, you know, I see so many things on social media where the first thing it says is like trigger warning. And I've never seen so much of that before. Um, and people being so willing and so open to talking about these things, uh, because I think we do come from a history, a, a cultural history and a cultural inheritance of shame around sexual assault or, um, you know, being in a, feeling like if meant to, you know, kind of told that if you're in that kind of situation that it is, oh my God, the worst thing that's ever happened. So, you know, feeling some sort of personal responsibility or personal shame about it or shame about your body or, or anything. And I think it's really healthy right now that our society is actually opening up and talking about some of these things. Um, so with the survivor Alliance, um, so I know, Drew, you mentioned how kind of watching this, the, the whole 2016 election mess uh, go down uh, really kind of, you know, ignited you into action to help support the healing efforts uh, for people who, who are survivors. Um, but what, what took you in this, uh, in this direction initially? Wow, that's a very, I mean, the, 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 Long story is very long, um, but it originally just came from my own experience of a sexual assault in college, and 
entering that that happened at such a critical point in my life um when it happens you you're in school to figure out your life right and this happened when you're trying to figure out your life and i thought i had it all figured out and when you've like after going through that i shut down and there's a lot there was a lot of time of just like darkness and so as i moved out of that and started graduated college and started working you know, there's this, there's this feeling like this darkness is gone and I can be myself again, but that wasn't really true. I lost myself completely and I started working and feeling like this wasn't the work that I wanted to be doing. I wanted to have more of an impact in the ways that I've been affected. Um, and yeah, uh, there was a, just a lot of different movements and key points in my life, like attending this like women's conference about two years ago now that was the first time I had seen a woman on stage sharing her story about sexual assault because she was also supporting young women who've experienced it. And that was a turning point for me, definitely. This was about six months before the election of, wow, I can do something. And yeah, it's just a million baby steps, you know? Absolutely. And I, I thank you for, you know, being forthcoming with that. I didn't, I apologize if, I, if you felt like you were on the spot to about that. I didn't mean to. Uh, I had all those little technical difficulties kind of uh, <laughs> gotten to give me a little uh, fuzziness today. Um, so I do apologize for that. But um, what what I appreciate uh, is that um, you are finding your way to heal by helping other people. Um, so with the Survivor Alliance, and people can look this up, uh, thesurvivoralliance.com. Um, you're talking about kind of providing different types of resources uh, for for people who um, want to heal. Talk about, um, I, I know you mentioned a little bit about the self-care kit, but what are some of the other resources that you're hoping to pull together to offer people through the Survivor Alliance? We are offering a combination of the traditional healthcare practi- practitioners, so people who have attended counseling that's trauma-centered and says, you know, this counselor really worked well for me. We're going to be listing those traditional resources, but on top of that, there will be non-traditional ones. One of my favorite examples is an oracular healer, and I didn't know what that was before starting with our work. And what she does is she can see your colors of your auras in your different chakras and then see the dark spots and ask these different questions and have you do these positive reaffirmations that um, basically clear those blocks from you. And I was kind of skeptical, honestly. I mean, I haven't really been indoctrinated that much into the hippie movement yet, but (laughs) that being said, I'm open to trying everything once. And so I had seen it demonstrated, then I tried it myself, and it was ridiculous how much I thought it opened up for me and really um, had me acknowledge that I had never even really grieved for what had happened to me. And so Um, just these different methods that somebody might not even think of. There's trauma-centered movement that could be yoga or dance, and there is um, people who do writing workshops. There's people who do open mics. I think there's so many different ways to express ourselves and heal that we sometimes lose track of when we're in states of crisis. And so to really hone in on what makes us happy in the first place, and then how can we use that to support us reclaiming our bodies and our experiences? Mm -hmm. I Really, I think that's a really good point um, as we kind of expand the conversation of the ramifications of sexual assault, 
um, in our culture, in, in individuals, um, because it's like if you, if just for example, like if you got injured physically, right, if you had like a sports injury or something and you had to go to physical therapy for months and months and maybe a year, maybe two years to try to get your body back into its, you know, high functioning uh, health, state of health. And I think that when we, when we talk about um, viol- body violations, that those are equivalent right? You have, there's a lot that gets kind of manifested in your body from, from trauma, whatever kind of trauma it may be. Um, so I, I appreciate that you're all kind of thinking outside the box and opening up your mind and looking at what are some different ways that people can actually start to feel better, like physically feel better, release the, the, the energy that's stored up for them in whatever way um, they're able to do so. So I, 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 I like this uh, 21st century um, movement here. Um, and, and, and I know you wanted to talk a little bit in a broader sense about the kind of evolving anti-rape movement. Yeah. Uh, well, it's really interesting. We're at very, it feels like a very pivotal time right now because the anti-rape movement, I mean, it really started but in the... I mean, the very earliest stages was very tied to slavery, and it was black women leading that movement. It's very tied to the anti-lynching movement back in the late 1800s, and then it kind of died down for a while. And then back in the 70s, on the heels of the civil rights movement, was the anti-rape movement, and that was when we really started getting uh, government bodies and legislation that protected women against rape. And so that's when we started seeing rape crisis centers popping up. That's when rape SF4 was founded, was in this movement. And a lot, a lot of uh, funding started being used for this issue. But ultimately what that seemed to create, it, it did a lot of great work. Um, but I think what we're reacting to now is as these movements have tried to get or like get systems to recognize rape as a violent act, uh, it led to the criminalization of it, which can take away from the issue. And that's that's a huge part of what we're trying to bring back. And how when we started criminalizing rape, it became about the individual. It didn't it, it moved away from how we as a society contribute to rape and goes back to how do we like punish the person who committed this when Especially, especially now, we're seeing all these stories of a lot of gray area. Do all these men or and women just people? Do they all do all, they all deserve to go to jail? That's a whole nother conversation than healing and what actually happened and how it affected that survivor. And so, as we we see with the Me Too movement, the conversation is shifting away from the perpetrators and a lot more to the the survivors who are coping with it every day. And that's where we're really stepping in uh, to, we're not necessarily creating all these new resources, but being that place for them all to, to collect themselves. Because again, with this, with the, the dying down kind of between the seventies and now, a lot of those organizations that were so gung ho back in the day, those people moved on, funding sources ran dry. Um, things just have changed back a lot and yeah. What do you have to add? And um, one point that was made to us during the training by one of the women who founded SF4 was that there had been so much focus on getting rape to become illegal, to criminalize it. 
but the way the judicial system has treated survivors since then has been, you know, very mixed bag, you could say, and um, not always the best option. And it uh, there's a really long, drawn-out process associated with it. And so more and more we're seeing that the judicial system is not fit for handling this type of work, and we need to be mm -hmm. taking it more at an educational, societal level. And a lot of that is going to be checking ourselves and checking our community members because rape culture is ingrained into everything as we know it. Um, one of the best ways that it was described to me is um, that while women were back at home taking care of the children way back in the day and men were out building all of the foundation of our society, they created politics, religion, the educational system, and now we're all indoctrinated into this structure and for the first time we're finally gaining our voices and being able to say no, this isn't working for us, in fact it doesn't work for the majority of us and so how we are um, shifting that communication and that dialogue is really pivotal because there's a lot of good guys who also were raised in rape culture and have done some of these acts themselves. I mean, I have a lot of close friends who are now becoming more and more aware of how they've also perpetuated rape culture. And I don't think that they need to go to jail for it and you know, go to prison and do all these things, but I do think that there needs to be education around it so that these cycles stop repeating themselves. Mm -hmm. And another, as we've seen in the past, is as when Moving forward, a lot of these movements, like the anti-rape movement, um, the ba Black Lives Matter, the anti-violence movement, the anti-prison movement, all these movements really need to work together um, because in the past, it, um, as we started criminalizing too, it doesn't necessarily protect everyone. Some people who do do uh, get persecuted, um, we haven't, it doesn't necessarily help our communities long-term. And also, there's a lot of people who are left out of the equation. Like for example, um, in cases of domestic violence, as we started criminalizing it, it didn't decrease the number of women who were killed by their partners. It decreased the number of women who killed their partners and increased the number of women who ended up going to jail for being the like secondary abuser when they were trying to stand up for themselves. And it also kept women like that, like undocumented women from reporting the abuse they faced because they might go to jail for reporting being abused. And so we really need to take a step back away from the criminal justice system to treat this problem. Word, I appreciate that a lot because, um, you know, as we as we look at this kind of new budding um, movement of women throughout the country, uh, the intersectionality of this of the movement, right? And uh, with sanctuary city laws, right? So that undocumented people do have access to local services like the police when they need them um, and without fear of being deported or reported to the government, you know, ice, um, ice cold, cold hearted ice, <laughs> as I like to say. Um, and, um, and, and like you're saying about the, d the domestic violence, right? I think that the, um, I, I did a show last year um, talking about it and um, in the research I did, uh, the, the number one um, cause of death for pregnant women is murder. And it's largely by their partners. Um, so, th yes, the, the criminalization of it, making it a criminal act can act as a type of deterrent. Um, but I agree that it doesn't ultimately heal, right? Um, it's it's kind of the 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 catch-all 
um, to try to criminalize uh, people and people who stand up for themselves against their abusers. Um, and what we've seen is this: the largest number, uh, largest growing population of prisoners in this country are women. And we, we have the most prisoners in, uh, in, in the world per capita. Um, so we have this criminal justice system, which is a system of abuse in, in and of itself. Um, so I, you know, as, and as we see like the intersectionality again, talking about Black Lives Matter, you know, against police violence and just basically all forms of oppressive violence. Um, because, you know, it's one thing to say, uh, you know, this guy, uh, committed rape, so he should go to jail. Um, but it doesn't mean that the person who who was raped in that case, um, you know, they might feel a little bit of vindication, but who's supporting them, right? And I think that's where you're kind of coming in with the Survivor Alliance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our goal is definitely to make people feel that they're heard. And I think from both of our experiences, that's something that we really lacked and could have um, used a lot more because for me, um, the first time it happened, I was 15 and it was my first boyfriend and then it caused these cycles of negative relationship patterns and I didn't become aware of it until the past year when I finally took this training and was like, oh, this is what consent is. Oh, this is what happened to me. So I think not even having the awareness of the language around it and the way that our sex ed is taught in schools. I mean, just so much has to happen in order for people to feel heard, to feel validated with their experiences, to feel like they're not alone and to really start healing together as a community because it's not going to be an individual thing. As Drew said, I think we need to make really big societal changes and that's going to take some swallowing of our pride and our ego and admitting when we've wronged and moving forward from it. Mm-hmm. You two have such great energy. I'm so happy that you're here. Asaley and Drew from the Survivor Alliance, uh, the SurvivorAlliance.com. And the website, um, which I believe you're, you've just kind of recently launched uh, and you're still building upon, but one of the one of the aspects of it is that uh, people can actually contribute to the website. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so Asaley and I, I mean, viewers can't or listeners can't see this, but we're both white women, so we are, and we have we have limited experiences and our own experiences with rape and sexual assault, and those in no way are representative of everyone's experience. And so to be very mindful of that moving forward, we want to be very inclusive with who is share, whose voices are being shared on this platform. We don't want it just to just be us talking. And so we have opened the doors and created forms for anybody to start submitting blogs and posts, whether that's it could be short stories, it could be a, your own story of like surviving, or it could be more of like a political or societal analysis or poetry you've written or a video or just sharing how you've healed. And so really bringing together the many different things that can educate a survivor on just what sexual assault is or how to heal from it. And I wanted, I wanted speaking of the language, right? Uh, people not necessarily having the language for their experiences or knowing how to reach out and get support for their experiences. Um, and I, I learned new cultural words all the time. And it's, uh, it's always kind of interesting to me. But can we, or how would you, um, and maybe both of you can answer this question in your own way, how would you define rape culture? 
Do you want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. It's, tr- um, it's tricky. Yeah, I, uh, again, I think, not not trying to, you know. Yeah, I think the best way to describe rape culture is through an example. And the way, the example that I like to use is how surprised we wonderful answer um and we were talking about how would you define rape culture and you were giving saying that it's kind of best defined kind of through examples yeah um so i'll just kind of pick up where i was left off the first example was how surprised we are whenever we hear a song that's really uplifting towards women so if we hear a song that's like girl you got this you're gonna destroy everything because you're just so strong and we are so strong as females everybody's sharing it with each other like oh my god have you heard this song it's incredible i feel so uplifted by it and that's not the norm and the reason we're surprised is because that's not the norm um and another example that i like to talk about is i was listening to npr and there was the producer of stranger things and i really really love that netflix show stranger things and i had rewatched the first season in preparation for the second season i think it was like i don't know the second season had just come out and me too was just becoming trending and so um on NPR, he's talking about how Me Too is affecting Hollywood, and they're like, oh, you know, we wouldn't do anything like that to our actresses. We want to make sure that they're protected and nothing bad's happening to them. But then if you remember in the first season between, um, I think, Steve and Nancy, so Nancy's the older sister, their whole relationship is a perpetuation of rape culture because she's like, oh, Steve, you can't come over tonight. I have to do my homework. And Steve's like, no, I'm going to come over anyways. I'm going to come over anyways. And he keeps doing that until she's finally like, okay, fine, come over. I guess that's cute because you just pressured yourself into my house. And then he literally like climbs in through her window and she's like, Steve, you're not supposed to be here. And he's like, it's okay. I'm here to help you study. And then she's like, oh, you're right. You're here to help me study. And then he tries pressuring her again by taking off her top. Oh my and God. she's like, Steve, what are you doing? Doing. and then and then in the end she's like we have to study and they get back to studying but they're like smiling at each other and then they end up together the whole rest of the season and I'm like that right there the amount that you had to pressure her to get into her house and try taking off her shirt and doing all of these things because you're just like 
I'm Steve and I got to get it in because I'm in high school. Like that right there is rape culture. And the producer was so unaware that he was doing it himself through his work, even though you're not necessarily sexually harassing these teenage girls you have working with you. That doesn't mean that you're still not negatively adding to this whole problem. Yeah, absolutely. Good call. Great example. Great example. Wow. Uh, I mean, my, I think what I was thinking when you asked this question was, so Saley gave great examples to explain, I guess, how I would describe it, which is it's invisibly visible. So you can't really see it and it's a system, or you can see it if you know what you're looking for. But we live in a society that trains women to be complicit and not, and not just women, but in this, like speaking kind of in, more in terms of this, but it, that trains women to be complicit in their own abuse and oppression like for me when I was younger um this is like my how I like came to see it um when I was younger I very much wanted to like kind of rebel against gender roles you know and but what that defaulted to as a woman rebelling against gender roles meaning means you're acting like a man and it means that and like a lot of times like you see this with women and what that creates is this like negativity and shaming of women shaming other women for being a slut or being dressing a certain way or talking a certain way or whatever it might be and then making women feel like they deserved it you know it's it's that constant socializing and conditioning you know like Pavlov's dogs just like you take this abuse and then you think you did you're the one who did something wrong at the end of the day because we see it in media all the time. The guy who raped me told me, you know you want it. You know, and that, and that is, uh, I think that is such a, like, that sums up a lot of it for me, is men saying that, and then women, I mean, sometimes you stand up for yourself, and sometimes you're just like, okay, I guess, you know, it's, it's really... Yeah, it's, well, it's stealing your voice. Exactly. It's, it's, it's saying, you don't have a say in this. I have a say in this. I know what you're thinking better than you know what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And it's a psychological mind fuck. And I'll say that because it's free speech radio here. You're listening to <laughs> mutinyradio.fm, women's magazine. Um, word went off again. <laughs> A little rough going today. I really do apologize uh, for all of these technical snafus here. Um, hey, you know, if you'd like to donate to Mutiny Radio so we can update some of our equipment, you can do so. Uh, check out our website, mutinyradio.fm, um, because we want to still be able to uh, give a platform for amazing guests like mine today, Drew and Asaley from the Survivor Alliance. And um, yeah, we we're just talking about uh, how. Uh, rape culture is something that can, you know, also just steal, steal one's voice, steal one's um, personal 
experience and perspective and make them think it's something that it's not or something different just to, you know, to brush it over or to um, just try to say, well, uh, well, let's, let's just forget about it. Like, like screw him. Don't you don't have to think about him anymore, you know? And, um, but I like the healing approach that, that the two of you are, are, are heading towards um, and supporting long-term healing um, because Lord knows our society needs it in so many ways, as you were, to, as you were mentioning earlier, Drew. Um, so I think we're in a position to do it. I think um, the time is now uh, to really um, bring that education to the forefront, keep people aware of um, how they're perpetuating, um, you know, negative stereotypes about women or making excuses for any kind of uh, abuse or abusers. Um, I really appreciated your uh, your you're mentioned about how songs, right? Um, I think often maybe this kind of also comes out of kind of the women's movement of the seventies, which was also a, an age of like sexual liberation. So there's kind of a fine line, right? It's like there's the liberation part. And then on the other side of that very, very nearby is Drew, what you were talking about, which is the, the slut shaming other women, putting other women down, um, not being willing to actually accept that, you know, it's like, well, I wasn't there, but you know, I mean, she was out with him. So, you know, just like all of these excuses that are perpetuated um, throughout our culture. And I think a lot of songs, um, you know, come through like women empowering, being empowered comes through as a sexual empowerment. And it doesn't need to be the, the only way to be powerful is through sexuality, but I think what we see is that masculinity is is seen as power through sexuality, and so the the you know kind of pop culture answer is well feminine sexuality, which is fine, and there's I think there's a, a place for that, and it's kind of fun sometimes, but it doesn't actually um, you know it's not it's not necessarily a supportive way to be right. <laughs> Um, so we have a few more minutes. Uh, we have about five more minutes of the show. So I just wanted to give you two another opportunity to either sum up, uh, you know, what kind of what you're about or, or any other messages that you find you'd like to share with people um, and any other resources that you'd like to share. Yeah. Um, so to kind of wrap us up, we would love to encourage everybody to get involved in standing up with this movement. We have a lot of events coming up that we you could participate in. So if you want to directly start um, meeting people who are either survivors or allies and showing your unity with the community, we have an open mic night that will be February 28th at Octopus Literary Saloon in Oakland. We also will have a panel discussion in March, which will be different survivors talking about how allies can support them. So if you are looking to be a better ally to the survivor community, this is um, we're highly recommending going to these events. And then the event that we're most excited for is our four, first full day event, which will be April 14th. And it is called Redefined, a day of healing. There is both a free part and a paid ticket area and the tickets are on sale now if you're interested and this day will be all about um, providing different resources to heal yourself and the community members around you so it'll be basically a direct reflection of survivor alliance there will be different nonprofits and partners tabling to educate the community on what resources they have to offer and if people want to get involved they can sign up to do that there we'll also have music food we'll have some 
movement activities, some crafts. So just really exemplifying how there's so many different ways to heal and bringing those all into one place so that all the community can access them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And can people find, where can people find uh, the information about those events? If you go to our Facebook page at Survivor Alliance, there will be information there about the events. We will also be promoting it over the next month. So if you follow us on Instagram, at Survivor Alliance, Twitter, Facebook, any social media, and if you check out our website as well and sign up for our mailing list, then those are all good ways to stay in touch and get invited. Mm-hmm. And we're growing, we're doing these events as we're growing our network, the community we're talking about of all these different resources. As we're growing the website side, we are also, we're growing that as we're hosting these events. So they're very much wrapping, kind of wrap, entwined around each other as we move forward right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess I'd also want to leave people with some pointers of how to be an ally and how to support survivors. So if somebody comes to you and tells you that they've experienced sexual assault, Firstly, if this causes a really emotional reaction for you, the best thing for them and for yourself in that moment might just be, you know, I really appreciate you sharing this with me. I'm not currently at a position where I can process it, but give me a few days, maybe journal it out, think about it, and then get back to them and follow up. Because I think a lot of times people have that really intense emotional first reaction, and that's not really what the survivor needs at that time. Also, um, if you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn them to, you can turn them to our website. You can turn them to SF Women Against Rape. There's also RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, dot org, and it has a lot of different rape crisis resources. There's um, resources on college campuses, so, you know, there's lots of ways to reach out. And um, if you don't feel suited, then you can refer them to somebody else. But always just practice validating their experience Try not to be like, oh, you should have done this, should have done that, or, oh, I'm going to do this for you. Just really make sure that if you have control over the space where the rapist is in, making sure that the survivor feels safe and um, doing your part and being a good ally and providing a place for them to talk about it, but also making sure that everybody's taking care of themselves. Yeah. Asking people what they need. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Asking people what they need, because maybe they never even thought about it before. But if you ask them that question, they might say, you know what, I just need, you know, someone to talk to. I just need, you know, a break. I need some help. Right. Like I need I've been just like whatever it is, um, you know, I need to find some support network. Um, So I think that's a a really excellent question and will help. everyone kind of be able to participate more in this grander social internal external healing that we're that we're trying to you know ignite here um so thank you so much uh you've been lovely gracious guests especially even through all of these crazy uh technical difficulties um but uh thank you again and if you're out there listening, you should definitely check out what uh, Drew and Asaley are up to on thesurvivoralliance.com and also on their Facebook page, Survivor Alliance. And it's got this pretty little knot, knotted kind of symbol. It almost looks like a heart. Um, what What is that symbol? Um, it's two chain links making a heart. I did not design it. Um, Laura Acton, is, she's another Bay Area native. Um, she designed this, but it's supposed to be... the the thought was to represent how we are stronger uh, when we unite and how, and also uniting from the heart and not from all this like judgmental head stuff, you know? So 
If I can finish with a quote that I think really represents that as well. Um, this is from Audre Lorde. I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but she says that when we fall back, when we as women fall back on the same tactics patriarchy 